we start with soaring food prices. Take a look at the inflation rate across Canada now over the last 13 months. Inflation running sky high. But check out the prices at the grocery store now. Food prices running even higher than the general inflation rate. That has happened every month now for the past 13 months in a row. Food prices running even higher than the general inflation rate, which is already running sky high. The opposition in Ottawa calling for action on this. Have a listen to federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. It is not that prices have gone up in relation to the cost of production or the other costs that have increased, that grocery stores and CEOs have increased their profits beyond that or increased their prices beyond that to make record profits. Okay, so he says that grocery stores are raking in the profits. The grocery store CEOs are cleaning up with bonuses. Are grocery stores gouging their customers here? Let's talk about it now with my guest, NDP MP Alistair McGregor, representing Cowichan, Malahat, Langford in the in the uh, House of Commons. Very pleased to welcome Alistair to the show. Alistair, thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you so much. A real pleasure to be with you today. What are you hearing from your constituents there on Vancouver Island about food prices? Uh, well, your introduction uh, covered it really well. Uh, they have noticed uh, month over month for the greater part of this year that when they are going shopping, uh, particularly for the really healthy food, like the fresh fruits and vegetables, the dairy products, the fresh meat, those have all seen some significant price increases. And it's forcing a lot of families in my riding, but also right across this country, to make some very difficult weekly choices, because this is a, a weekly occurrence for Canadian families, that you need food to survive. And some are actually being forced to cut back on healthier foods, maybe in favor of more processed foods. You know, they're, they're navigating their way towards the center aisles rather than around the corners where we know where the produce is kept, where the dairy is kept, and where the meats are kept, simply because the costs have gone far beyond the general rate of inflation. So that's a real issue. I'm definitely hearing it, and I know a lot of my colleagues are as well. Okay, I know your party is calling for action on this, some sort of an inquiry, into, particularly into grocery store profits. So when you take a look at how much money the big grocery store chains are making right now, are they? do you believe that they're gouging their customers? Is that your concern? I don't want to, like, you know, make a, uh, a statement on that, but I think Canadians know that two things are true. First of all, the, uh, the increase in food prices has gone far beyond the general rate of inflation. Like, if you look at the right. basic staples they require, those have far exceeded what the general rate of inflation is. The other thing that's true is if you look at the three major companies, I'm talking about Loblaw, Metro, and Empire, if you look at their publicly available annual reports, you will see that they have done quite well over the last number of years, and their profits have gone up. Their CEOs have also made considerable bonuses, and CEOs only get paid bonuses when their corporate performance is doing well. So we have a situation where these two three things are true. They're happening at the same time. And because food is such an incredibly important staple, I think this warrants a parliamentary committee inquiry into this to get to the bottom of it, to make recommendations to the government. So we have policies which are addressing these very real concerns of working families right across Canada.
Okay, we talked about this on yesterday's show. I spoke to Sylvain Charlebois, Dalhousie University. This guy is an awesome analyst on the food industry and food supply in Canada. Uh, probably the best in the country, I would say. And he's known as the food professor on, on Twitter. I encourage everyone to follow him there. And here's what he had to say to me yesterday about greed and inflation, also known as greedflation. Have a listen. Greedflation <laughs> is basically uh, a company that would that uses inflation as an excuse to just inflate prices without uh, without seeing uh, its costs go up. So that's what the NDP is accusing grocers of doing through greed. Okay, well, you know, if you talk to some of the big grocery store companies, they will say hey, our prices are going up too. Like, we're getting squeezed by inflation as well. Our input costs are going up, right? Like, the price of gas has is, is gone through the roof, and there, that's a big cost for trucking food to all the stores. All the other input costs to, on food production and food delivery in Canada. You're not buying it, Alistair? Uh, no, I, I agree. Like, you know, I've been on the Agriculture Committee for four years now. I know all about the supply chain woes that our major producers have experienced and grocers included. I know there are big geopolitical events like the war in Ukraine, which have also affected fuel prices. But I'm also saying that if you look at the rate of increase in their profit margins and if you look at the increase in food prices vis-a-vis the general inflation rate, you will see that there is actually something that we should be looking at. And I know there is a narrative out there that uh, the the grocery stores are putting out, and certainly they will be welcome to appear before our committee to defend themselves. But we also have other economists like Canadians for Tax Fairness. Uh, We've had Jim Stanford, who have pointed out that the increase in food prices is not attributable just to those external factors, but that also some grocery chains have taken this opportunity to increase prices to make their bottom lines better. And that's reflected in their earnings. So, look, I just think that this is an issue that matters to many Canadians. Uh, I think they want to see their parliamentarians taking action to deal with it. And that's why I am going to encourage my colleagues and other parties to join with the NDP to get to the bottom of this. Speaking to NDP MP Alistair McGregor about soaring food prices. So, you know, the NDP are not the only opposition party on Parliament Hill calling for action on food prices. Let me play a clip here for you from the new Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev. And he's pointing a finger somewhere else, not so much at the groceries chain, the big grocery store chains, but he's pointing a finger at Trudeau and high taxes in Canada especially the carbon tax, saying that's driving up food prices, even for uh, Canadian produce, like Canadian tomatoes, for example. Here's Polyev in the House of Commons this week on that, and I'll get your thoughts. So what is the consequence of the tax on these tomatoes? Well, it is, at times, more expensive to buy a Manatec tomato in Manatec than a Mexican tomato in Manatec. Why? Because the taxes are lower in Mexico, even though the pollution is higher. Okay, so he's talking there about Manatec tomatoes grown in Ontario, saying that sometimes they're more expensive than tomatoes grown in Mexico. And he blames the carbon tax. What do you think of that? Uh, I have two uh, points to respond to the Conservatives. First of all, uh, they tend to completely ignore the inflationary pressures that are coming about because of climate change. Every farmer I've talked to at the committee over the last four years, they will tell you they are on the front lines of climate change. They are being affected by droughts, by extreme weather events. 
These all have impacts on our supply chains and our ability to provide food. The other point I would say in response to the Conservatives is as much as they like to complain about the carbon tax, they say almost nothing about the record profits that oil and gas companies are raking in right now off the backs of hardworking Canadian families. So if you're going to complain about the carbon tax, but stay silent about massive corporate profits, well, there's an extreme disconnect. And I hope a lot of your listeners take time to look at the earnings that oil and gas companies are making right now because they are raking it in and is all okay. coming off of working families' backs. Okay, last question for you, just getting back to food prices. So you're calling for hearings on Parliament Hill, like you want these grocery store CEOs to show up in front of your committee and answer questions about high food prices, is that right? Like, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish there? Yeah, so uh, we do have, we want to have them. We also want to have other representatives, uh, you know, representatives of workers in the grocery chains, economists. We also want to have representatives of consumer protection groups. Ultimately, we want to have a proper hearing of these events, uh, get all of the evidence before us, all of the testimony, so that we can produce a well-rounded report with some strong recommendations on what the federal government could be doing to alleviate these concerns. We don't yet know what those will be. We haven't had the study, but I ultimately want us to have some concrete proposals that the federal government can act upon. Well, what could they possibly do? I mean, you're not talking about price controls, right? You're not going to force companies to lower their food prices. Is that what you're talking about? So one of our proposals from from the NDP has been an excess profits tax. We believe that corporations that have been doing very well over the last couple of years should have a tax on their excess profits. And we would like to redirect those funds into providing relief for Canadian families. I also think that with the concentration of corporate power in areas like the grocery chain industry, Maybe there's a bigger role for the Competition Bureau to play in this, Mm. so that could be a policy decision as well. So those are just a couple of examples. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thanks for your interest in this. I really appreciate it. All right. Here we go now with the proposed new name for the B.C. Liberal Party, B.C. United. That is the proposed new brand for this party. This will be voted on by party members later this year. B.C. Liberal Party leader Kevin Falcon already on the record saying he likes this name change. He's going to vote in favor of it. Change the name to bc united let's talk about it with caroline elliott now vice president of the bc liberal party caroline thanks for coming on again happy to be here okay can you sum up caroline why why the party is doing this why consider a new name well i mean changing the name of the bc liberal party it's something that's been discussed in general terms for the better part of two decades i think uh but uh in in this particular case uh what we're talking about it uh, as is one part of an overall renewal process that's actually already well underway. We can talk about that in a minute if you want. But in terms of the name change itself, it's it's something that's been really member-driven from day one. So at our convention back in June, uh, members had the choice uh, as to whether or not they wanted the party to go down the route of even considering a new name in the first place. And they voted uh, strong, quite strongly in favour of doing that. So uh, basically what we announced yesterday, the name uh, BC United, was the outcome of a, of a really significant engagement process that we undertook, having received over 2,000 name change suggestions from members all across the province. So uh, it's actually a pretty exciting time, I think. Okay, so this will now be put to a vote. And 
all party members get a chance to vote on this. Is that right? That's right. So part okay. of that uh, resolution that was passed at convention was putting uh, whatever the outcome of that consideration was to party members for a vote before the end of the year. And uh, we're on track to do that. Right. And this will be like a simple majority. So like a 50 percent plus one of the party membership votes yes to this. The name is changed. Is that is that the way it's going to work? I think what we're going to be doing, well, we'll be releasing the timing and the details around the voting process itself, including thresholds and that sort of thing uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, I think quite soon, actually, we'll be able to do that. Um, and so the, the details around the threshold will come out then. But one thing that we're, we've been clear about is it's going to reflect a strong mandate from party members. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that it would be 50% plus one. We'll likely go forward okay. with something higher than that. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. Speaking to Caroline mm-hmm. Elliott, vice president of the BC Liberal Party, will they change their name to BC United? How did you pick that name? So, uh, as I said, uh, we, we got over 2,000 name change suggestions. So how we got those in the first place is we launched immediately following the, that convention vote uh, a online portal. We had literally physical uh, 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 suggestion boxes for people to put their, their suggestions in. Uh, we had the summer leaders tour where, where people could click on QR codes and things. So we really kind of went out there and solicited feedback from our members. And the way it was selected is you actually, I mean, you go through the names, you, you get like this huge list. It's open-ended, right? So there were hundreds and hundreds of just one-off suggestions, some quite funny ones that are clearly jokes and some we can't use because they're either already registered with the Elections BC or they're just unsuitable. Maybe they're registered. Uh, an example of that is uh, BC One, for example, which is a global TV uh, show. So, you know, <laughs> we go through, we, we, we take out the ones that obviously we can't use and things. And, and what, we, what remained was just a really clear uh, member preference for the name BC United and and the kind of neat thing actually is the the kind of second and third contenders that we saw they weren't nearly as popular but things like bc together or or uh one bc or even actually bc party was one of the suggestions which is unavailable to us as it happens but still all of those i think really reflect that same sentiment that bc united does which is sort of coming together for that common purpose which is really what we're all about as a party right and the bc party idea name that was not available because that's already a party in bc is that right that's right so that one so anything that's i mean not to get too technical but anything that's registered to elections bc or has been registered within the past 10 years essentially is unavailable so that includes all kinds of names actually the list is five pages long and and bc party is one of those yeah yeah and i I understand the name bc first party is also taken yeah, I believe so. I actually yeah. don't have the list in front of me, but I think it is, yeah. Oh, okay, that, that, that's interesting. Let me play a clip here for you from NDP Cabinet Minister Ravi Kalon. Get your thoughts on this. He's not impressed with the name change being considered here. Here's what he had to say. It's uh, to the core... Kevin Falcon trying to hide his record. I see this as a bit of an attempt to uh, change his history and change the, the path of his party. Falcon trying to cover his tracks and his history with the Liberal Party in the past. That's what this is about. That's what he says. What do you say to him? Well, first of all, I actually think the new Democratic Party should probably be considering a name change given their undemocratic leadership election um, process that's underway. But I won't go there. Um, You know, we expect that (laughs) comment from them, and and that's fine. And and the truth is we're under no illusions. Like, renewal is way more than a potential name change. And our leader, Kevin Falcon, has been clear about that from the start. So, I mean, as part of our overall renewal, of course, we've got our dynamic kind of energetic uh, leader in Kevin Falcon, newly elected in February. 
We, we've got some fantastic uh, candidate recruitment. I mean, look at our look at Eleanor Sturko, our MLA elect in Surrey South. She's one example of the kind of people that we want running for us. And we're going to be out there trying to attract the, the best and the brightest like her to get them on the ballot from all kinds of communities. Are you are you worried yeah, about are you worried about uh, potential Justin Trudeau and his sort of declining popularity right now if you re- if you believe the opinion polls nationally there's been a bunch of them now showing the federal liberals under Trudeau going down the conservatives going up here under their new leader Paul- Pierre Polyev is was that a factor here in considering dropping the liberal party brand because you don't want to be linked to Trudeau no, I mean, that's not what's driving it, really. And I think uh, our, our thought this whole time has, to been, has, has been to be very respectful of the name that we've won many elections under. We've governed very well under uh, in terms of the BC Liberal Party name. It's not about getting away from that. I think it's really about just being a uh, having a name that more accurately reflects our coalition. And, and it's not just federal affiliation. Of course, we're made up of, of federal liberals, federal conservatives, and people of no federal affiliation whatsoever. But more yeah. importantly, I think we're a coalition of, of, of people from various parts of the province. People talk about the rural and urban divide, for example, and we believe we can bridge that. And that's just one example of the kinds of diversity that we can reflect in a coalition like this. Okay, we're following it closely, to say the least. Thank you for coming on to talk about it. Happy to do it. Thank you for having uh, me. Okay, thanks a lot. Caroline Elliott there, Vice President of the BC Liberal Party. Let's go across to the, across the aisle here, speak to the NDP, NDP MLA, Andrew Mercier joining me now. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how you doing, Mike? I'm, I'm good. Thanks for coming on. What do you think of this idea, new name for the BC Liberal Party, BC United? Well, you know, Mike, I think it's a lot like someone getting fired from a job for poor performance and then showing back up to uh, the workplace with a resume and a fake name. You can't hide who you are. Kevin Falcon can't hide his record. I mean, when he was in government, he spent his time cutting taxes for the wealthy while jacking up MSP, ICDC, and tolls on bridges. The uh, a name change isn't what British Columbians are asking for now. It doesn't address the problems that they're facing day to day. Uh, it's cosmetic. Okay, so you think this is about hiding, Falcon hiding his record, hiding his, covering his tracks and his, his role in previous Liberal governments? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is about Kevin Falcon trying to say, hey, look over there. Don't look at what I've done. Look over there. And trying to hide from the, uh, the association with his time in government. Look, when Kevin Falcon was Minister of Health, uh, he promised, he stood up and he promised everyone a family doctor, GP for me. He said, you'll all have a family doctor within five years. Well, he was promising that, um, while he was promising that, the situation got worse. And not only did it get worse, he didn't stick around for the full five years. He turned around and he was out uh, working for property developers by the end of it. Okay, I, I would suggest to you, Andrew, that if the NDP could have a vote in this, they would they would vote for the Liberals to keep their old name because that's what you you guys just want to keep kicking them around, kick that party around for as long as as possible, and that a new a new party name is a threat to the NDP in the next election. What would you say to that? Uh, you know, I'd say it's the uh, <laughs> it's the uh, you can change the uh, you can change the stripes, but you're dealing with the same animal. I think that Kevin Falcon uh, hasn't changed. It's very clear he hasn't changed uh, in the legislature. Uh, you can see him twist himself into a pretzel every time that tolls on roads come up because he thinks it's a good idea, and he can't bring himself to say that it's not a good idea. This is a this is the guy. 
is Minister of Finance that sold the land for a new Surrey hospital at, you know, the only property developer uh, in British Columbia that thought it was a good idea to sell land instead of holding on to it, um, uh, but who sold who sold the land for the new Surrey hospital and now is going around saying that uh, we should move it again and delay that project at a time when we're in a healthcare crisis. So, so I don't think he's changed. I think a, a name change won't hide that. And I think that uh, it's just a symptom of Kevin Falcon being focused on his friends and focused on gaining power instead of focusing on British Columbians. Andrew, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about his story. We've had a special focus on for you here in the last couple of weeks on the show, and that is the lengthening waiting lists for critical medical procedures in British Columbia. Doctors, surgeons, medical specialists in our province sounding the alarm on this now. And I'm not talking about having a a tough time getting an appointment with a family doctor We've heard a lot about the shortage of family doctors in B.C. That's a big problem, too. But I'm talking about critical treatments here, cancer care, cancer treatment, biopsies, critical surgeries, people on a waiting list and getting sicker while they wait. Specialists in British Columbia now signing a public letter to the health minister warning the healthcare system is deteriorated to the point where one million patients are waiting for this care. I spoke to Dr. Chris Hogue about it on an earlier show. He's the president of the Consultant Specialists of BC. Here's what he had to say to me. Seeing in British Columbia, we're seeing uh, patients on massive wait lists uh, to see a specialist. And the problem for which they were referred was, was, was less urgent at the time of the referral, but it may well be deteriorating while they're waiting, and that's that's a huge concern. Okay, yeah, this is the classic problem, people getting sicker while they wait for care. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Dr. Charlotte Yong-Hing, president of the BC Radiological Society. Dr. Yong-Hing, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me and your interest in this topic. Oh, yeah, I think it's a really, really important issue for sure. When we talk, let's talk about radiology, your specialty there. So I think when people hear that term radiology, they think of an, like an X-ray, but we're also talking like MRIs, right, CT scans? Absolutely. So we use the term medical imaging, and that includes, as you said, X-ray, CT, MRI, ultrasound, and we also do procedures. So that's where the biopsies come into play. Yeah, the biopsies are uh, of critical concern to me when I've heard about the wait times for biopsies. So let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing. Like, what kind of waits are you seeing out there right now? Well, we see a crisis. There's Mm. hundreds of thousands of patients waiting for medical imaging in BC, and the wait times for everything are excessively long. The wait times before COVID were long, and now post-COVID, they're dangerously long, in my opinion. We know that timely access to medical imaging saves lives and helps prevent disease progression. And those diseases can be cancer, and progression can be cancer progressing to a stage where it is more difficult to treat and has significant um, effects on the patient's life if it's not detected early enough. Right. What kind of procedures 
are we talking about specifically and and what sort of wait times like how long are people waiting to get get this care for example, patients who are recalled from their screening mammogram and need biopsies are waiting upwards towards four months. And I think that as we get closer to Christmas, there's always a delay over Christmas. So we're probably going to be booking patients into mid-January soon. And I just can't imagine being a patient with a possible cancer knowing from now until mid-January that, um, that there might be something growing. Yeah. And can you talk a little, can you expand a little bit on that? Like, what is the risk there? Well, the risk is is higher, obviously, for things that are more aggressive. And yeah. of, all the, of all the biopsies and all the imaging, there's always going to be a, a component that's aggressive. And those are the ones that we're really worried about because the cancer can spread. It can go to lymph nodes. It can go to other parts of the body. So it's really, really important that patients get medical imaging in a timely manner, either to say, no, there's nothing wrong, you can move on with your life, you don't have to keep having this anxiety, or yes, there's something wrong and you need to be referred to a specialist and you need to have surgery or, or other treatment. Right. Is there like a like a triaging type system in place here? Like when you first see a, a patient who presents to you and you go, okay, this person requires an MRI or an x-ray or something to determine what's going on or, or a biopsy, is a specialist able to determine at first glance, okay, this person can afford to wait a little while, so they're going to go on the wait list, but this other patient I'm seeing, I'm more concerned about that patient, so they need to go to the front of the line. Like, What kind of process do specialists go through there when they assess patients and for how long they have to wait? Absolutely. We have a triaging system that divides patients into people who need to be seen right away that, you know, for example, like a hot stroke or um, somebody having um, acute chest pain in the emergency, and then all the way to um, follow-up imaging of um, a chronic condition. So everything in between also is triaged. And the problem is not not the emergency things, the things that happen in the ER, that stuff happens. But yeah. the problem is the things that probably should be done in the next, you know, week or month, those are getting done much, much too late. Right. And I think for, you know, serious diseases and conditions like cancer, I mean, this is where it gets kind of scary, I think, for a lot of people. Let me play another clip here for you from your colleague, Dr. Chris Hogue, uh, the president of the consultant specialists of BC. This is on an earlier show, uh, talking about a patient waiting for cancer care here. Have a listen. I had a patient in my office yesterday who I referred a month ago to an oncologist, and he came in to, to touch base and make sure things were moving along. And he got an appointment, but it's still two months down the line. That's a three-month wait for an oncologist, for a patient that I've already identified has a significant cancer and, and needs to be seen. Oh. That's not right. Okay. You know, this is the type of situation that people hear about. You've got someone with cancer. You have a, a specialist doctor who's concerned, and the person is waiting potentially months or even longer. What are your, your uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Yong-Hing, your thoughts on that? You know, it's so sad. And the saddest part is there are so many stories like that. And that patient probably had to wait to get the medical imaging so that 
the the person they saw thought, oh, you need to see a specialist because the medical imaging is often the the bottleneck in the system. So the the family doctor will order medical imaging, and there will be a wait to have that. And if it's normal or not not suspicious, then that patient um, doesn't need referral. But the patients who need referral need that medical imaging before they can be referred to a specialist. So there was probably a wait even before that three three month wait for the oncologist. And and it's it's happening everywhere and it's happening all the time. And um, it it is so concerning. It really is a crisis. And mm. I don't think that um, calling it a crisis is overstating it. Speaking to Dr. Charlotte Young Hing, a president, BC Radiological Society, about the wait list we're seeing for specialist services in British Columbia right now. Um, I had a call here on the show earlier this week from a caller who told a story that's still kind of haunting me today. And it was a story of someone who had a concern about a growth on their nose and... was sort of it seemed to be misdiagnosed perhaps at, at first and then the person waited a long time it turned out to be in a very aggressive form of cancer it spread into their mouth and required very very aggressive surgery to deal with i mean this is that's the kind of the nightmare scenario right like if someone has a concern they're put on a wait list and they get seriously very sick while they're waiting like have you seen anything like that well, unfortunately, I get contacted on a regular basis from referring physicians with patients with stories like that, where there was an excessively long wait for the workup and the, and, you know, the disease has progressed to progress to a point where they need more aggressive surgery. So I hear about this all the time, unfortunately. And this is having significant impacts on these patients, these patients quality of life and probably length of life. Right. Okay. So what needs to be done? You know, your group has now gone very public with your concerns. You've got this open letter, public letter to the health minister. What do you think should be job one here to make this better? Well, we, we've identified four areas that, we're, that we think can be targeted. So human health resources, there's a critical shortage of medical imaging technologists. We cannot perform the studies unless we have the technologists to run the machines. The machines themselves are often outdated and need to be replaced, and many places don't have the equipment they need. So there is not equitable access to medical imaging across the province, which is just wrong. You should be able to get the same care wherever you live in the in the province. And as we've discussed, the breast imaging wait times and biopsy times are just unacceptable and dangerous. And um, a key player in all this are the community imaging clinics where over half of imaging is performed in the in in the province. And these clinics suffer the exact same stresses that the primary care clinics um, are, have been suffering since COVID. Their overhead costs have gone up and many of them are at risk of closing or reducing services. That would have a catastrophic effect on medical imaging wait times because these patients would then go into the health authority system that is already struggling. So we've identified the community imaging clinic support as the most um, critical short-term issue and we are asking um, Adrian Dix for immediate action uh, a emergency, an emergency, um, an emergency support 
similar to what the primary care physicians got would would be very helpful for the community imaging clinics, really just to keep their lights on so that they can keep operating and keep serving the patients of BC. These were the clinics that did all the outpatient imaging during the, the height of COVID when patients didn't want to go to the hospitals and the hospitals weren't accepting outpatients. It was the community imaging clinics that stepped up and did all of that work when everyone was terrified. I don't, you know, we all forget now, but, but everyone was terrified at the beginning sure. of COVID, including yeah. all the people working in those clinics who put that aside and served these patients. So now we're asking for the support that these clinics need to stay open to keep serving the patients of BC. Okay, it's an issue we're following closely here on the show. Thank you very much for coming on today to talk about it. Thank you very much for your interest.